Hello and welcome to my Caravan Industry Insights podcast. This podcast is for anyone working in the caravan industry, whether you're from a manufacturer, supplier or dealer here in the UK or elsewhere. So listen every week to hear insights, interviews and marketing tips to help keep you and your business more informed and successful. I'm John Rawlings, a journalist and communications expert with a lifelong passion for caravanning and 20 plus years PR and events experience in the car and caravan industries. From starting in the editorial team at Practical Caravan Magazine to working in the press offices at Vauxhall, Volvo and Volkswagen and now in my own business specialising in the caravan industry. Hello and thank you for listening to the podcast again this week. This week we are going into marketing in a big way. I've got an interview with a professor from the University of Brighton. He's a senior marketing lecturer there, Dr. Martin DeSouls. And we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. If I could even say it properly, that would help. And and what is chat, GTP, that sort of thing. Have you heard? even heard of it? Well, we go into it in a lot more detail in this interview. And I won't say any more than that at the moment. I think that's plenty. Let's have a listen and tell me what you think. This week in the podcast, we are talking marketing. We're deep diving into marketing with a senior lecturer from Brighton University, Martin DeSouls. Martin has worked in technology and marketing sectors for over 20 years as an analyst and entrepreneur, author, and now a, a university lecturer. He's written numerous articles for business publications such as CIO.com, The Conversation, and The Next Web, as well as several books on the role of data in driving innovation and business success. Now, hello, Martin. Hello, John. Now, this is going to be a very interesting conversation because this is, I'm particularly interested in, you've, uh, some of the articles I've seen you comment on and write about AI and whatever that is. And we can, we can talk about that in some detail, but I know you're big on data and you have a, a newsletter that goes out. So the first question you've suggested is how can businesses make better use of data in their marketing? Now, that sounds a good one for the, for the caravan industry to get their teeth into. Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think any any business for sure, I think it's a lot of missed opportunities going on there where there is a lot of data around. And as you probably know, with, you know, anything you do online, particularly mm-hmm. where you're posting content, there's no shortage of analytics and data you can get back. And I think, you know, as I say, there's a lot of opportunities there for businesses to make better use of that, particularly, I think, in a more strategic sense. And if we're looking at marketing, really thinking about how can the data that they're generating from the stuff that they're posting and sharing, emailing out to clients, et cetera, how can they use the data they're getting back from that to perhaps refine and improve what it is they're creating if you're talking about content and marketing yeah. um, and sort of making sure really that, you know, you're making the best of it. Excellent. You, so you're at Brighton University teaching a lot of this innovation and technology and digital marketing. Yeah. So what are the latest trends? What sort, of, what sort of data are you thinking of here? Well, I mean, what I teach there is to a range of, on a range of courses and primarily around digital marketing. So right. introducing mainly final year students to what some of the core principles of digital marketing are, which essentially is marketing these days. I mean, you know, everything yes, that's true. has at least a digital presence, although it may straddle older analog media as well. So some of the things we look at are what are the analytics that you can derive from, for example, social media marketing from web analytics. So we look at Google Analytics and what that can can help companies with. So the sort of stuff I teach is fairly 
fundamental stuff. What I'm perhaps more interested in at the moment, and some of the things I've been writing about, is where is this going? And you know, what is it that businesses perhaps can do that might set them apart from their competitors in terms of how they use data? And I think there is a trend and looking at various bits of research that have come out over the last few months around the marketing industry, both here and in the US, there seems to be a sense that maybe a lot of companies are actually, and this might seem counterintuitive, producing less content, mm. but are being more strategic in the types of content they're producing. Right. And this is more amongst, I suppose, more seasoned companies and marketers in terms of those that have been doing it for a few years. And I think there's been a realization that too much of, you know, whether it's blog content, newsletters, whatever, case studies, a lot of it goes either unnoticed or isn't tracked as to what actions it's led to and whether it's sort of led to whatever the you know outcomes the company wants so i think yeah. this is where a lot more efforts going in now whether that's automation or tailoring content strategies to to really sort of utilize the data that you're getting and i think and i don't know about you know your sector the motorhome caravanning industry beyond being you know a user of of the end products but you know it, it applies across the board and i think the the, the perhaps more strategic companies that are using this data in a more strategic sense are going to be those that that can capitalize on that. And I think, I don't know whether you want to talk about AI at some point, but you know, some of the things that are going on there are quite interesting. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about it. But, but first of all, when you talk about using it more strategically, how, how do they do that? And what can anyone do that from the data they've already, I mean, I would just hope that most people are looking at their, their results, because that's the beauty of beauty of digital marketing is you can get measured. It's much easier to measure, isn't it? How how do they take that to the next level then? I'm curious about doing doing less but but better content. I mm. can see the sense of that and the wisdom of that. But how yeah. do they how do people know? Well, I guess it's maybe in some senses stripping out some of the more vanity metrics. So, you know, if you're posting social content numbers of likes, et cetera, which yeah, it, it's an indication that someone's seen what you've done and, you know, a like is better than no likes, but it's really, for example, there about what's being shared, how many people are taking it to that next level. And I think this is where a lot of companies fall down. And the same with web metrics as well, things like page views. Yeah, you need page views, but it's, are you getting the right people looking at those pages? Uh, okay. Digging a bit deeper into, well, okay, is it, are you targeting a particular geography? Or, and this is where a lot of efforts are going into at the moment, where on the sales journey are those people, assuming they're on that journey, yeah. assuming they're potentially your customers, yeah. and structuring content around those journeys, whatever they are, depending on the sector you're in, the products you're selling. Mm -hmm. And this is for B2B and B2C audiences. It doesn't really matter in that sense. So sure. Making sure that you're reaching the people at the right time with the right content that drives them on to the next stage of, you know, that awful phrase, the sales funnel, but basically yeah. getting people to the end of whatever it is you want them to do. And it might just be getting them to sign up to a newsletter. That might be the end goal, or it might be, you know, getting someone to click on that buy button. And I guess, again, I, I don't know your sector really, but, you know, we're talking big ticket items here. Camper vans are, you know, pretty expensive. So they're not impulse buys. Well, yes, but, but across the whole spectrum, you've got also got to think about there are people like caravan campsites rather. That, that they want to do their own marketing. And there's also suppliers supplying accessories for, from, from a product that could be a few quid to an awning that could be a thousand pounds or something. 
But the, yeah, uh, then you're going up to motorhomes, which could be well, well up to, well to 100,000 and more. So yeah, so the, there's a huge, huge range there. So you mentioned social media. I get the vanity make metrics. And I've always said to people, the engagement is key. If you get people to yeah, share and or comment at least is much better than just purely getting a like. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then ta- you said tailoring the content for where they are on the journey. So I guess that means producing a range of content to sort of, that will connect with the right people. So from beginners to, I'm picking it in a caravan term, somebody who's casually looking or someone who's been caravanning for years and wants to upgrade to the latest, with all the latest tech in it or something. Well, exactly. And it's, in that case, you're right. It's about knowing where people are perhaps on the journey for a particular type of product, but looking after your existing customers and maybe it's getting them to trade up or if somebody's buying a a perhaps a a slightly less value item is their potential to move them up to something else and as you say it's about creating different types of content and you know again you'll know better than me about this but you do a lot of this stuff yourself but video for example i would imagine i don't know lends itself particularly well to to your sector in Mm -hmm. the sense of it's visual it's demonstrable and you know that in itself can be a great driver and I think it's not necessarily about getting people necessarily to at their first stage. It's pushing people through those different stages. I don't know how far you dig into things like Google Analytics, but you know, there's a lot of ways that you can customize that to actually track different journeys for different types of content. And I, I do a bit of work with some small, smallish companies, and I'm generally always surprised by how little they use a lot of this data. Some of them will have agencies and, you know, clearly some of those agencies are really up on all this. Uh, mm-hmm. But even then, a lot of it, it doesn't seem to be looked at. And I certainly think there's a lot of time that could be saved making better use of it. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of my thoughts on that, I guess. So it's better creating better content rather than just, just putting something out there for the sake of it. Yeah, exactly. Having, exactly. having, a, having a definite plan. Well, it's that, it's having a plan for, yeah, who you're trying to target, obviously, at a very basic level, which, you know, that's been part of marketing forever. But I think this is where the opportunities are now, because we've got the data that the content creators and marketers that we've never had access to before. Mm. You know, we've had to go through gatekeepers who controlled the media, whatever it was, magazines, television, radio, et cetera. We can now get most of that data at a far granular level than we were ever able to before. So, yeah incorporating that into how you then think about what you're going to create will, if you do it right anyway, <laughs> hopefully result in more effective content rather than just spewing out more blog posts and hoping something will stick, which you do still see a lot of that going on in, in different sectors. Yeah, I was just thinking of something then. It'll come back to me, I'm sure. I had a, a, a thought of a question there. What was it? Oh, from my age, sorry about that. <laughs> We'll come back to that. Oh, I know. But data overload, there is so much data. Do you think some people get get completely swamped with it and, and a bit overwhelmed and don't know really what to look at? Yeah, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure mm. that's true. And I guess that's where you want to employ, if you can afford to, and if you're big enough, you know, an agency that knows how to use data. And again, you know, agencies vary enormously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I deal with a few, particularly around the Brighton area where I teach, where it's got quite a thriving digital marketing scene. Yeah. Uh, there's some really interesting things going on down there with some of the digital marketing agencies and spin-off companies that are, are focusing on really creating products around that data. So there are tools out there that can help you make sense of it. I mean, Google Analytics can be pretty unwieldy if you don't know what you're looking at, but there are tools you know, that will 
provide more user-friendly, perhaps, interfaces to that that, you know, can help you do that. But yeah, a lot of people will need help with the data. But I think if you get it right, then it's probably a good investment. Okay, that's interesting. And what what are the trends then in, in, in marketing that you, what's your, what are your students most interested in and all planning to do when they leave? Are they looking at any particular area? Yeah, well, most of the students I teach are computing students, computer science students. So oh, for right. them, they're coming at it from a more technical point of view. So the data side of it probably interests them a bit more oh, yeah. than, for example, I also teach some media studies students, digital uh-huh. marketing. So they're more interested in it from the content creative element to it. Mm. So it really depends, you know, what, where the students are coming from and where they see themselves. But quite a few of them do end up working in agencies in London or Brighton. It's always good to see over the years through our friends LinkedIn yeah. and where they're going. And, yeah. you know, a lot of them are doing, doing very well. So there's certainly some jobs out there in it. But yeah, so some of them more data focused, some of them more creative focused. And I think that's partly why I like teaching it because there's different ways into marketing. So in terms of other trends, I mean, automation. Um, mm. So, you know, there's new tools springing up all the time to automate the distribution of content. I don't know whether you've used any of these things. So, for give, example... Yeah, give us an example. Yeah. So, newsletters, for example, getting people to sign up to that, mm-hmm. then having a structured set of responses that they oh, yeah. receive based yeah. on what actions they take, whether they click on certain things, yeah. and again, pushing them through or trying to encourage them through some sort of journey to some sort of action at the end. Yeah, yeah. So things like Salesforce, ConvertKit, HubSpot yeah. for a range of tools that once you've set them up and if you've got the right content can save a lot of time. Yes, and, and make you look more professional as well. I use ConvertKit, but I don't think I'm using all of their services properly yet. I must say, I did keep meaning to sort of deep dive into that a bit more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So there's quite a lot of potential there for, for driving mm. people mm. to different mm. actions from that. So that's another thing. Video, certainly... I didn't realize UK adults, I looked up this stat the other day, according to Ofcom anyway, the media regulator, four hours online every day, UK adults are spending on average. Wow. Most of that is watching video. So, well, yeah. I had heard that video was, was really important for engagement, but it's good to have that sort of reinforced. Yeah. Uh, presumably quite short videos, or is that, would there be any length of it? Well, that's the, that's the thing. The good thing about video is that you can repurpose it for different platforms. So you might want to create longer form content for, I don't know, a, a longer YouTube video, for example, or something yeah. embedded on your website. But you can then cut snippets out of that for posting on Instagram. TikTok. Yes. And I know, you know, perhaps we're of a certain age. I don't know whether you use TikTok. I don't. But the interesting thing is the stats around TikTok are that an older audience are starting to emerge on that platform as well. I mean, it is still primarily younger people, yeah. probably not the sort of audience, I guess, for a lot of the sorts of companies that you work well, with. Yes, but start the beyond. There are a few, I can certainly think of one caravan and motorhome dealer in the UK that is, is on TikTok all the time whenever I look at it. And they have grown a huge following, but I was, I've always wondered how relevant that for their following is to, to their customers. I mean, they wouldn't keep doing it otherwise, I, I suppose. But that's interesting that you say there are more older people. I must say, I don't use it very much. I keep meaning to. It's a bit of a distraction when I do, but my kids are on it all the time, I feel, yeah. it feels like. I'm a big fan of Instagram and Instagram Reels. I, I, I do create stuff for there. Well, I think if you look at Instagram, you go back 10 years or so, the typical demographic on that platform was a much younger audience. 
Whereas now, you know, clearly still a lot of young people on it, but yeah. you've got a much larger proportion than there were of sort of 30 to 40s, 40 to 50s, et cetera, et cetera. And I suspect if TikTok continues, if it's not banned for its Chinese ownership, who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah. Um, we'll probably see something similar there. I mean, um, right. I would imagine. And Facebook, I've been teaching digital marketing long enough. <laughs> is that something that I don't think many of my students use? No. And if they do, it's only for organizing a party or something. So, so these things change. And, and I think it's yeah. important, you know, marketers to keep an eye on it because, you know, it, what's happening today, you know, may be different. Well, that's it. Years. It is keeping in, keeping in touch with things do change. Yes, my kids, my daughter doesn't use Facebook, she thinks it's more for older people. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think my wife's on it a lot and Instagram, yeah, we do. do so when you say that the adults are spending four hours a day, is it mainly social media videos or? Would you are you bunching YouTube into that as well? To be honest, I don't know. I yeah. haven't broken down into it. I, I would yeah. suspect a lot of it's social media. I would yeah, yeah, I would too. And short form video content. And you know, we're not immune. Whatever age, we're still. I've had to ration myself on flicking through some of these things. I know. I know. Sometimes I'm it, wasting. Yes, I I've had been trying to do that as well. In fact, my daughter set up some time limits on my on my phone. And it comes up and says, you're running out of, you've run out of time. You can have another 15 minutes. I thought so, it was supposed to be the other way around. But no, I know, <laughs> it should be. <laughs> it's very true. That's very true. But going back to newsletters as well, then, that's I've always been preaching, or certainly from somebody else I interviewed at the very beginning of the podcast, that social media is great, but you don't own it. And, you know, the, Twitter has changed ownership recently. Who knows if they're going to start charging or changing their basis, or you can get also get hacked and it can... Or disappear overnight. Mm-hmm. So, getting people onto your mailing list, I've, I always tell people that's still a number one important thing to do. I totally agree. I think good, the, good the, to hear that. The greater, <laughs> the greater degree to which you can control whether it's you know having your own website, obviously that yeah, the exception as you say of hacking, you know you have control over an email list and owning that email list in terms of having the you know the actual addresses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because there's yeah. new platforms, I think, places like that where they take away a lot of the headaches of, of managing newsletters and allow you to monetize them if, if you have the right audience for that. But again, you're ceding control to some degree in the ship. And as yeah. you say, you know, I mean, yeah, Twitter um, seems to be a bit of a car wreck at the moment. I mean, who knows whether it'll get turned around. But yeah, if you've built your whole reputation on mm. one platform, you're, you're pretty vulnerable. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. It is. And there's definitely very powerful Twitter and the number of followers and the messages and the the conversations that do go on there, yeah. I have I have a bit of a love hate thing with with Twitter. I'm I'm a big fan of Instagram. It's one I use primarily. I think. And so I'm going to ask you another question about newsletters. Someone I don't know if you're an expert on this, and but this might be a bit specialised. But traditionally, we think of newsletters as being a monthly thing. You think, oh, this is our January newsletter. This is our February newsletter. But someone else said that that only gives you twelve opportunities a year to talk to your database. Doing them more frequently than that, maybe shorter in shorter form rather than expecting to have a whole page in just a quick snippet, even down to the extent of doing daily, something daily every, could potentially get on people's nerves. But I do like the idea of doing them more regularly, regularly monthly, but maybe shorter. I think, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm, you know more about newsletters than me. But yeah. As a consumer, yeah. I think it depends. Um, well, from a consumer point of view, it depends what it's about, doesn't it? If it's something little snippets then yeah you could almost go daily i subscribe to various weekly ones in that talk about different aspects of technology and yeah i think if they were monthly 
I'd forget about them. Whereas, you know, yes. I know they're going to come in, you know, one of them comes in on a Tuesday afternoon and yeah, I, you know, will make a point of looking at that because I know it's coming in yeah. uh, monthly. I can't remember. I no, can't remember. I, a four exactly. Week cycle. Exactly. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. It depends uh, what you can create as a producer, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, if you've got the the facilities to create content on a more regular basis, then it might well work. But yeah, time yeah. consuming, as you know. Well, yes, but I, I think instead of doing, as I said, instead of doing one long monthly newsletter, break it down into four shorter mm. bites and make it more topical mm. and etc. I know I'm quite passionate about content creation, but it's as you say, doing it well. And what about podcasts? Do you do you include that in digital marketing? Is that I don't know. Um, it, it's interesting because. It's sort of there's been a resurgence, hasn't there, in the last few yeah. years? Yeah, particularly over lockdown, I, th- I, I think, because they were around a while ago, and I sort of thought, yeah. But I think I think we've all got used to expecting things on demand, and I can we never watch regular TV as always, iPlayer or whatever it is, or yeah. or, even, or even Netflix. So I think there's been an explosion in podcasts just because it's it's like on demand radio, really, isn't it? Well, it is, and and you've got better ways of accessing. I, I mean, I can remember probably fifteen getting on for twenty years ago. When the first podcasts were coming out, I used to subscribe to one using its RSS feed. And I used to have to burn the episodes onto a CD to then listen to them on my, in my car. So it was pretty clunky. But, yeah. And then they sort of went away for a while, or they didn't, yeah. you know, they, uh, but they've recently come back. I mean, I've been reading the last couple of months that maybe we've seen peak podcast. I don't know. Who knows whether, you know, there'll be a decline in listenership. I suspect not, because I think since Spotify is put podcasts on and it, oh, the bbc do their own podcast everyone is doing it it's just uh, there is it there, there is a, has been an explosion of them but it's not as bad as youtube in terms of and it's just no. another way of communicating another great way of communicating i think but anyway, i know you're not an expert i want to uh, ask you about artificial intelligence then and, and how that is coming into the marketing hmm. marketing sphere because i don't know a lot about this and i'm hoping that you do well, I wouldn't say I knew a lot, but it's certainly something I've been looking at, reading about, written a couple of things on it. I think it's interesting on a number of levels, for me anyway. You've got, you know, being a, a student of innovation over the last 25 years or so, looking at how firms innovate and what goes with that. The whole, I guess, almost hysteria over the last two, three months or so over this generative AI, things like ChatGPT for text, Dali for images. I've, I've got views on that, and I think that's interesting. But I think, I, think, I think it's overblown, a lot of this stuff. I don't think there's going to be mass unemployment, as some people are saying, because of these new tools. I, I think it will have big impacts, and it's certainly something that I think is pretty exciting, actually. And it, it feels a bit like things did 20 years ago and maybe 10, 15 years ago with different mm. waves of, of the internet, you know, web one, but, web two. What would, how would you define it? In, in terms of someone said, what is artificial intelligence? I, I, well, I'm not sure. uh, <laughs> okay. At, at a technical stroke, philosophical level, a lot of people would say this isn't artificial intelligence. These things that are creating, you know, images on demand are based around algorithms. There isn't a, a sort of sentient intelligence behind <laughs> you know, the, the computer that's thinking about these things. It, it's all, you know, machine, combination of machine learning and uh, very clever algorithms. Mm-hmm. And access, these, these algorithms having access to huge amounts of data, publicly available data that it can learn on, be trained on, and then access to create new, if I use the word new in inverted commas, new content. So 
a lot of people say it's not artificial intelligence. It's more based around machine learning, maybe deep learning, which at a computing level is slightly different. But it doesn't really matter. It, it is, I think, revolutionary in the sense that there are things that you can do now with great ease that you couldn't do a year ago. Certainly that we couldn't do as consumers with these tools. They didn't exist for us to use. So, and so it's good to give you an example. What, in terms of what these tools are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, what, not, what? I've not, I'm not familiar with this chat GPT that you talked about. Okay, have, have you, you haven't heard played about, around with it? No, no, no. All I've heard about artificial intelligence is, as you say, the scare stories about it taking over various jobs and half the jobs. Well, there's, there's some quite alarming statistics, aren't there, about the number of jobs that are around today that won't be around in in our children's futures yeah. because of artificial intelligence. And yeah, and also because I've got a you know, daughter at 17 doing A-levels, looking at career choices and mm. uh, thinking about what, what sort of careers will be around in, in, the, in their time. No, well, fair, fair, fair point. Okay, I... I, I think a lot of these scare stories are really overblown. We've seen this in the past with other technologies. The personal computer in the 80s, 90s, oh, that yeah. was going to put whole swathes of people out of work, mm -hmm. administrators, all sorts of people. And I was looking into this, looking into the research a couple of weeks ago about that. And actually, if you look at the real impact, and this is in the US, but it would be a similar story in, in any other developed economy, mm -hmm. there was a decline in the number of administrators throughout the 80s and 90s, but it only went back to the level seen in the 1950s, which is before computers existed, where we had huge, uh, large numbers of, of administrators, people doing routine administrative work. So it didn't have the decimation or didn't decimate those sectors in the way that people were saying. It actually created more new jobs, you know, people to program the computers, people to operate them, people to create content of different sorts on those computers that couldn't be done before. So no. it, it created overall more jobs than it perhaps destroyed. Right. And it didn't even destroy any sectors anyway. Mm. It changed how people worked. Yeah. So I, I think these tools we're looking at now, you know, people are talking about chat GPT, et cetera, are going to have some impacts or big impacts, but I think overall it will create more opportunities. That's good to hear. But um, so tell me what, what, what this tool does, chat, chat GPT, GPT what, yeah. what, does it, what does it do? So ChatGPT is a product that was launched, I think, about three months ago by a company called OpenAI. And essentially, you can tell it, or ask it rather, to create a body of text based around whatever it is you want. Oh, uh, uh, yes, so yes. When you asked me if I'd come on this podcast, I thought, oh, I'll have a play around with some of this stuff because I hadn't used it myself. I'd read other people's accounts of it. Yeah. So I said, I can't remember exactly what I said. I said, write me a 600-word blog post on the best campsites in Wales. Mm -hmm. And within 30 seconds, it had done that very thing. Oh, I had listed this, them. Actually, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. And it, it wrote a little section on each of the campsites, it, you know, what it was good for and where it was, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I don't know campsites in Wales. So whether it was a, a you know, accurate portrayal. I suspect it probably was because it's drawn on information that it's found on the web and then put it together to around the, what my question was about. It looked like something you could stick up on a website, you know, on a blog. It, yeah. it wasn't very, you know, exciting. It didn't really draw you in particularly. It was fairly bland, but mm -hmm. it was sort of good enough as a sort of fairly low quality piece of content. So surely it's then copying that, that content from somewhere else where it's found it. It's not writing its, its own words, is it? No, it's, it's pulling it in from different yeah. places, rephrasing things. And so it's not 
taking you know a block and just putting it there it's 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 rephrasing things but yes it's essentially finding content from all the contents all the content that it's ingested over the last year or however long it's been scouring the web right right. and the algorithm is clever in that it can interpret what i'm asking for very accurately Mm in the context of the information it's got. So I can see um, I can imagine why people would be quite scared about that, particularly all the journalists out there and the yeah. you know, and uh, Well you can, but my my argument would be that everybody has access to this tool. I mean, I think they're going to start charging for it, but it won't be much. Mm. So in the same way that everybody who can afford one has access to a personal computer, access to the web, et cetera, et cetera. Once we've all got access to the same tools, then the success or the criteria of success and what's effective will be the more creative use of those tools. So, yeah, maybe the sort of people that you were paying, not you, but perhaps some people were paying $20 to write a 600-word blog post on the best campsites in Wales. Yeah, people that only want fairly low-quality content and, you know, the tools will get better. Yeah, maybe those people will struggle a bit for work. But I think People pushing out content, you know, from a marketing point of view, will find ways to use these tools to perhaps generate ideas and come up with a bare bones, perhaps, of a structure. But it'll be, it'll still require people to create a unique angle or something that draw people in. And as far as I can see, I don't, these tools at the moment anyway, can do that. And I think there'll always be an opportunity for the human intervention to apply our creativity in a way perhaps that machines, computers can't. Yeah, you still want a bit of sense checking or... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That as well. And yeah, making it more interesting. And, and where else in the marketing world then would, would AI have any impact yeah, well, I think that that's sort of around text. There's another product they produced. It's been a little while called DALI, D-A-L-L-E, I think it is. Right. And that you can ask it to create images. So, you know, I was playing around with this again last week and I can't remember what things I tried. I said, show me, make me a picture of a caravan on Mars. And lo and behold, it, it did that. I was trying to find them just now, but I, I, did, I don't know where I saved them. So yeah, it, it did that. And it looked like a caravan on Mars, <laughs> the red <laughs> planet. And then I asked it to show me a caravan made of cheese and it came up with something sort of along those lines. <laughs> think why you'd want that. But I suppose from a marketing point of view, you can sort of see maybe where you want original images, and I say original inverted commas, and you haven't got the time, resources, money or whatever to create them yourself. There's potential there. But I think more perhaps interestingly is using it to help customers to, for example, I was thinking about it in the context of kitchens, but it, you know, maybe specking out a motorhome or a camper van or whatever, mm-hmm. um, allowing customers to use a tool that's been customized for your product. So you've put in all the data about whatever it is you're selling and allowing customers to say, show me this interior with the wash basin on the other side and the shower at the front or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it could, you know, instantly more or less create that sort of content. So as a sort of value added uh, oh, information there. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think there's ways of, of, of doing that. And maybe, you know, encouraging people to come up with ideas for and then voting on them. You know, who, who do you think? I don't know. So I think there's a lot of potential. It'll evolve over the next year or two. And, and I think it's a positive thing. Okay, that's good. 
And that sort of thing you were describing is as a step beyond, you get, I think about buying cars, you get configurators where you can choose the colour and the wheels and stuff. Is, yeah. is that the sort of thing or is it further on, much that further sort on of than thing, that? But more yeah. flexible in the right. sense that you can start to get a bit more out there maybe with some of your ideas mm. because those are yeah very much structured around a predetermined set of variables about what would work where. Mm-hmm. So maybe just something a bit more flexible where you can allow the creativity of your potential customers or existing customers to show through. Not saying that therefore they can instantly order that, but you mm-hmm. know, it's, it, it's, it's, it might be a way of allowing them to more easily express what it is they're interested in, what it is they want, mm-hmm. and visualise that. Cool. Those. Oh, I, I, um, yes, this is quite interesting. It's quite a deep, it is a deep dive into the latest and latest tech, isn't it? Is Absolutely. anything else you can you can think of that you'd like to add to that? I think in terms of, I don't know, the future, what where things are going, I think we've talked about most of the things. I think, and this is something, some experience I've had recently with a couple of companies, um, and I guess it maybe touches a little bit about on what you were what you were alluding to with the content. So who owns these images that you or Dali has created based on your instructions? What is the ownership there? What is the ownership of that 600-word blog post in terms of copyright? Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, it's used information from other sites. It's repackaged it, yes. reordered it. Do you own the copyright? Do the people that created the content that it's drawn on own the copyright? Does OpenAI that created the algorithm? <clears throat> and I don't have the answers because we don't know yet. And it partly will depend where in the world you are. Yes, that's Slightly true. different interpretations of whether a machine can create copyrightable content. That's a very good question. Very good question. Yeah, mm. so I think that's going to keep a lot of lawyers busy for a while, which, you know, for them, not a bad thing, I guess. Um, mm. So I think there's that. And I think we might see, and this is perhaps a good thing for marketers, that we're seeing these technologies being incorporated into search engines. So Microsoft has just bought 49% of OpenAI that created ChatGPT and Dali and other, other products and has spent, I don't know, 10 billion or so doing that. And I noticed yesterday that if you use the Bing search engine and you look at image search, it allows you now to create images in that, which, you know, is drawing on on the open AI software. But I think potentially this could perhaps open up the search engine market because at the moment Google is the search engine for 90% of all search or a bit more than that actually. Yeah. Bing, I mean, do you do you use Bing? No. I've not met anyone that does, <laughs> and yet it's there, and they're putting a lot of money into it. So I think hopefully there'll be more competition in search engines, which is a good thing for consumers, but also for marketers, in that hopefully that will open up a bit more the paid advertising, pay-per-click. Rather than Google uh, having a bit of a monopoly on it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. If, if other search engines or can incorporate some of these technologies in a way that allows them to have a competitive edge, even if it's only for a while, it, it may open that up, which hopefully might bring prices down a bit from, as you say, a sort of almost a monopoly at the moment, mm. those types of ads. Mm. So, yeah. What about, do you think there are any key differences in between B2B and B2C marketing and, and with the use of these technologies? Is that... It's the same principles for both, really. I guess it depends how you're using them. I mean, the whole B2B, which I suppose is more of my background, B2B marketing typically is a a longer sales process anyway. So typically because it's for larger, larger priced items. And one of my focuses is on how software companies do marketing. So that can be quite a long 
a long sales cycle. And so I think there might be differences there, but yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, you know, mm. maybe we can talk again in a year and I suspect a lot of this stuff will have settled down a bit anyway, and we'll actually see how these things are being used. And I think a lot of it, I believe anyway, will be hype. I mean, I think, you know, if, if we do look at this again in another year or so. Yeah, that'd be good. Some of the things will have disappeared. But, but other things that, you know, you or I can't envision, because if we could, we'd, we'd be billionaires, perhaps will be, will be starting. So it will be interesting. And I think, I think we're on the verge of a new, a new cycle in innovation in marketing in the way that we were 20 years ago and maybe 10 years ago with social media advertising. So oh, well, we'll definitely have thing. to keep in touch and get another update at some stage then, because, yeah, it is a fascinating, ever-changing world and with more and more technology coming in. And the use of data, it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting, actually. Right, so uh, conscious of your time, I've got a couple of quick questions for you based around the car caravanning. I know you've got a caravanning experience from your childhood mm -hmm. going all over the UK, you said. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. If you could have a holiday in a caravan or motor, what would, what would be your first choice? Do you have a preference? Well, I thought about this and I put it into chat GPT because you sent me the question in advance. So I put yeah. it in chat GPT asking oh, yeah. if, and it, it didn't really help much. It just gave uh, me the pros and cons of, of the different, you know, motorhomes, caravans. So that's interesting. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to, I'm going to sit on the fence a bit and say, I mean, I like caravanning because as you say, I had a lot of happy holidays as a child in caravans. Mm -hmm. More recently, we've been staying in a few static caravans along the Dorset coast, which I love. Because you can really be, you know, right, right in nature there. Yeah. But I guess if I had a choice and you were going to buy it for me, I'd get a VW <laughs> California. Oh, nice. Um, a couple of my family have just got those and they look have rather they? good. And I'd tour around Europe in one of those, I think. Fantastic. So. Well, that was my, one of my other questions, really. If you could take your caravan or motorhome or your California in this case, anywhere in the world, where would you like to go? Well, I thought about that. And based on some happy holidays I had there a few years ago, a few times, Bordeaux. The coast in Bordeaux, Conti Plage, there's a lovely campsite there. Was that? About a sort of 10 minute walk from the beach with the lovely Atlantic rollers coming in. I was down that way last summer. A bit, oh, right. a bit further south from Bordeaux, but between right, Bordeaux right. and the Ritz, yes, and the yeah, beaches yeah. were Yeah, fantastic. well, this is sort of halfway between the two. So, yep, mm. yep. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I'll go there, please. I'll be well, nice. that's, that's quite an easy one to, to, to achieve. <laughs> that's that's very, very doable. And I don't know if you, how you're going to answer this one, but whether you've used some technology to answer it for you. But I normally ask people, if they had a magic wand, what would they wish for to benefit or change the caravan industry? Now, I know you don't work in the caravan industry <laughs> as such, but as a, as a marketing guru, would you have any views on that? Well, only a thought. And I know that you can sort of do this already, I believe. Some sort of Airbnb type thing for caravans so that it would be easier, perhaps, say, for those of us at the moment that don't have a caravan or a motorhome, yeah. to use other people's caravans well you um, can yes you can do that yeah yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a few sharing networks right camplify for, for instance there was one called okay. paul camper that i think camplify bought and the other names of the other ones escape me now <laughs> but yeah right. there are people who eventually eff effectively rent out their caravan or camper van either people to take away or plonk it somewhere for them oh, to okay. go to oh, so, you go. so hey, your wish has already been the, granted I'll, you're, <laughs> <laughs> I'll look those up that sounds so, good sorry yeah sorry you're not the first to think of that you're not going to be able to make a no, fortune no, on no. that idea and then so then for my last question and I'm sure oh, you've got some good. interesting ones for this if you could have a barbecue on a campsite with three famous people celebrities politicians uh, dead or alive other than family or friends who would you like to invite 
Mm, that's a good question. I gave it a little thought, and I think <laughs> I've I've come to it's a, a rather eclectic mix. Good. So I think I don't know whether you've heard of him, Francis Malman. No, who, that's a that's a first. No one's come well, up with that before. <laughs> well, he's a Michelin star chef, and he. Uh, ah. Have you ever seen that program on Netflix? There's a series called Chef's Table. No, I haven't. Well, I, ah. I can recommend it. And it, okay. each week, it looks, or each episode rather, it looks at yeah. a different chef from around the world. And Francis Malman, who you know made his name in French Michelin star restaurants, he has a little place on an island in Patagonia, Argentina, yeah. where he. People, you have to get a boat out to this island. I mean, it, it must be horrendously expensive as well, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But they cook on fire. They cook all these different types of meat, fish, all sorts of things on all different types of fires. So I thought mm. he'd be quite useful mm. to do the cooking um, mm-hmm. for the barbecue. He'd eat well. That's always a good start. Exactly. Yeah. So if you can do that. Yeah. If you could also resurrect M.R. James, the writer. I don't know if you heard of M.R. James. You're you're much more intellectual than most of my guests, Martin. I I doubt that. (laughs) I doubt that at all. No, M.R. James, he was an Edwardian writer of ghost stories. He was also head of Eton College and one of the Cambridge colleges, I think. Oh, wow. So he he was very much an academic, but every year he used to write and read ghost stories to his fellow academics and students. Uh And the BBC have serialised a lot of them over the years. uh, BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas. So yeah. I thought he could be there and perhaps scare us around the yes. campfire. Yes, that would be appropriate. Yep. And then maybe at the end, just to cheer us up a bit, Bruce Springsteen perhaps to uh, play a few songs. Okay, that's yeah. a good one. Nice. Nice, very nice. If you could do that, that would be great. That would that sounds a cool nice out, actually. That would be very good. I like that. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. That was that was very interesting. We've scratched the surface of artificial intelligence there, de- de- delved into it a bit, given us all plenty to think about. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. So I hope you found that interesting. I certainly did. It is quite interesting slash worrying, this chat GTP stuff. I don't think it'll ever replace the role of a journalist, though. There's a great article on The Independent this week, actually, on... I think it was on the 22nd of February, from a, from a journalist there who obviously questioned the, the, the future of being a journalist with, with the tools like chat GTP around. But she soon proved it wrong by by getting the artificial intelligence to create an article. But she found soon found out that some of the references it talked about were places it mentioned in, in the article she'd asked it to create were closed so it didn't have the local knowledge and up-to-date knowledge that a journalist would have from visiting a place etc but there's no doubt about it it's an interesting trend we're going to need to keep an eye on it and uh make sure it's used wisely or or to the best of your abilities right i will stop there i hope you're having a great week and i look forward to speaking to you again next week thank you Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it and would really appreciate it if you could share it with as many people as possible. Even better, please give me a five-star review in iTunes. It would be a great help. If you'd like me to interview you, want to suggest someone to interview, or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, or want to get in touch with me for any reason, please drop me a line at john at rawlingscommunications.com or message me on Instagram at rawlings underscore comms. Thanks very much. Bye for now.